0: What happens when your worst fear becomes your reality? Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to the Nightmare Success in and Out podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares and set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys I was in Leavenworth with and others who survived their own nightmare. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad, there's some humor, but hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that'll help you knock down some of the prisons you built up in your own mind. All right, Nightmare Success, in and out listeners, we're back, and are you guys up for an uh, interesting interview? All right, I got one. Aaron Duncan is with me today. His background, he had a, a, a real estate investment company. Um, he went in for the fight of his life, uh, eventually un- getting indicted, convicted mail fraud, money laundering as, as the battle went on, and... The interesting thing about Aaron is, 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 we talk about what happens when your worst fear becomes your reality. How do you adapt? How do you survive? How do you overcome? And one of the main ingredients of this is how do you use your experience to help others. Well, Aaron does that. Aaron uh, has a company; it's called Elevate Media, and he's using his experience. He's using his experience to help others uh, when they're in a crisis, and uh, and he's he's an expert uh communications guy he's into reputation management works with celebrities entertainers people who are getting going through an indictment all the things that go on in a crisis world um so it's a very interesting story and Aaron and I just been chatting here before we got started I think uh this will be a story that um has a lot of different angles to it I think you'll enjoy it Aaron Duncan welcome
1: thanks Brent Cassidy I appreciate the opportunity <laughs> to be a part of this podcast Obviously, you know, I'm sure you've, out of all the people you've interviewed, everybody said, oh, I'm such a huge fan. I genuinely mean <laughs> oh, that. I appreciate that. Uh, your story's incredible. I've read your book. Uh, I've watched your podcast on YouTube. I listened to it, um, I believe, on Apple and, and some of the other platforms that you're on. So congratulations to you and well, your I... great success and and where you're at today. Um, it's interesting because some of the people you have interviewed in the past, um, are actually friends of mine on social media and I had no idea that they'd Small even done prison time. Yeah. <laughs> Small, world Small world stuff. World. Small, world. Small world. Small world. Aaron, are you, are you from St. Louis? Born and raised. Okay. So, um, I'm born and raised. I've got, uh, two brothers Yeah, and I'm the oldest of three. Uh, my mom and dad are doing great. My dad just retired last year, and uh, so we all live in St. Louis. We're a very tight-knit, cool. close family. Very cool. So born and raised in St. Louis. You can answer the high school question that everybody
0: of asks in of St. Louis, only in St. Louis. You could have gone to Harvard, but they want to know
1: where you went to high school. Of course. <laughs> well, on my way here, I passed Lafayette, and yep. I asked uh, the the person that was with me, I said, that's where all the rich kids went, isn't it? And, mm-hmm. <laughs> He said, yeah, back in the day. And so, uh, I said, well, I wasn't one of those. I, uh, we grew up middle class. Uh, I was born, um, kind of grew up earlier. Uh, went to grade school and then halfway through junior high in Ferguson. Yeah. Uh, went to Ferguson middle. Wow. Um, and that's kind of where I learned a lot about the streets, Mm -hmm. street life. Uh, that's where I learned how to fight. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of a lot of those kids growing up picking on the little white guy. Um, that's where I learned, you know, a lot of a lot of lessons. And uh, my dad got a, a raise at, at uh, he was working at McDonald Douglas at the time, and um, so we transferred over to Fluorescent, uh, which was not too far away. But um, so to answer your question, I uh, finished out junior high at Cross Keys Middle School and graduated high school at McClure North.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. I'm a North Star. North Star. North Star, proud of it. Cool. Did you did you know,
0: having, you know, that world that you were in being in in uh Florissant, Ferguson, uh did you play sports? Did
1: you what was your high school life like? It did. So, uh my dad was uh he's one of those guys that um He kept us involved in sports because he he said, you know, as long as you're playing sports, you're going to stay out of trouble. Mm -hmm.
0: Plus, I think sports is a great equalizer.
1: It is a great equalizer. If you're good, you play. Yeah. Yeah. You're on a team. Everybody's trying to win. Everybody's trying to win. Mm -hmm. It is. It's a great equalizer. So in high school, um, you know, I had reached – uh, you know, I've, I've got four more years in my mind is what I had thought. And, mm-hmm. and so growing up from the age of five all the way up uh, as a freshman in high school, uh, everything was centered around baseball. Mm. My summers were baseball clinics, baseball camps, baseball this, baseball that. And so by the time I uh, made it to uh, my freshman year, um, I played varsity baseball. Um, I played baseball, football, and I wrestled all four years, three sports, not very
0: common by the way, to play three sports in high school, everybody, you know, nowadays they have everybody just focus on one thing, which I think is not the best thing. I think it's great, especially as an athlete to be able to transition from one sport to the other. I think it helps the other sport, but
1: it does. I, I, and I completely agree with that. I, uh, you know, I'm sure we can all look back at those days and say, man, that's, was when I was in the best shape of my life. Oh, yeah, for, <laughs> for sure. Playing three sports for four years, uh, two days uh, playing football was no joke. But the hardest practice, of course, was wrestling. Uh, but, uh, you know, then I was a senior in high school and, and then came along the decisions of where to go to college. Mm-hmm. Dad was big on education, um, huge on education. And he told us that, um, you know uh, – he, in fact, he had earned his degrees while he he had started his his career earlier on, but came on to McDonald Douglas and then just worked his way up the ladder of mm-hmm. the corporate ladder, like most uh, people do, live in that American dream. and And so it took him ten years, but he he got his master's degree while he was coaching our little league teams mm-hmm. and and working full time and and going to night school. And now I look at it and I'm think, man, I don't I don't know. That I would even have the time to yeah, do. Yeah, how do you do all that? So right? How do you do all that? So uh, kudos, Dedication. kudos to my dad if he if he listens to this. But, um, we'll so, make him listen to this. Yeah, anyway. we'll, we'll definitely <laughs> make him listen to it. So uh, I had uh, a couple of um, baseball scholarship offers. What What did you play baseball? Uh, my My position was shortstop. Oh, the shortstop, shortstop position. Yeah, yeah shortstop and. Uh, you right had to have around, a good glove for that. Had to have a good glove, good range. Um, my my bat was decent. Um, around my junior year, uh, coaches wanted to see me pitch mm-hmm. uh, to strengthen my arm. And so um, I, I had several scouts looking at me over, uh, you know, my junior and senior year. And so I didn't know where I wanted to go. All I knew is that my senior year, I had to find a way to tell my dad, I'm done with baseball, mm. which meant I'm done with school. Mm. And so um, that was that was a, a, a very difficult thing for mm-hmm. me. Uh, it was probably one of the hardest things that I had done <laughs> as a kid is uh, tell my dad that I've decided not to pursue baseball and uh, not go to college. And I think he disowned me. that Um, was it (laughs) yeah I think he disowned me pretty much for uh he had three sons and then there were two so um but um I got did you have
0: something in your head though Aaron at that time like you know if I'm not all the reason I asked that is because when when you're in that time period of your life you know the natural progression is is okay I finished high school I'm going to go to college. So was there something else that was rolling around in your mind?
1: There was, and that's a great question. This is something you and I have not talked about. So um, I I was dating a girl all through high school. She went to Pattonville. Mm -hmm. Here we are in St. Louis talking about high schools. Mm People in Cayman Islands have no idea. No, they have no idea. And and my friends uh, out in the UK, they have no idea what that (laughs) means. But um, anyway, so she she was a Pattonville pirate. And so um, we got married young. And uh, right out of high school, I started working for Southwest Airlines. Um, One of my cousins was a uh, manager uh, here in St. Louis. And so, you know, Life is all about who you know. Mm-hmm. So I gave him a call and said, "Hey, I, I would love to come work for Southwest Airlines." Nineteen years old, um, got my first job as a. Uh, I was out on the ramp loading luggage on an aircraft. Wow! Um, hot in the summer, cold I was in the say, winter. That's not an easy job. Brutal, brutal. Um, I just turned forty six in October of this year, and there are guys that started with me back. Um, during that time, that just retired last year from Southwest wow. Airlines. So I look back at that and think, man, how how different life would have been yeah. if I would have just stayed on at Southwest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I didn't. So worked there for a couple of years and and um, had established, you know, building a 401k and doing the things that you know you do working for a corporation. Mm-hmm. Southwest was a great company, but it just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed helping people. And so my wife and I, um, we decided to get into the ministry. And so we were youth ministers, um, for seven years. Wow. And so we helped young people, uh, how to avoid getting in trouble, how to avoid the pitfalls of life. Yeah. And, uh, I didn't even know how to avoid the pitfalls of life. I'd never even been in them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I just knew what I had been told. And so I was just relaying. How old would
0: these kids have been that you were working with? Uh, Anywhere from the
1: age of 13 to probably 19. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so. It had to be uh, pretty
0: rewarding, though, to to be in that environment with those. And they're so impressionable. Extremely.
1: Yeah. yeah. Just to to see a lot of them go through uh, those, you know that decade or those years of their lives mm-hmm. and, and not, um, as we know today, and it's unfortunate, but we see so many kids in that in that bracket, in that age bracket that are uh, addicted to drugs and mm-hmm. alcohol and, 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 and various things. And so it was rewarding for me to see those kids not get on any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had started – uh, I left Southwest Airlines, and um, the ministry was was very rewarding, but it was a weekend gig, right? You know, um, so I enjoyed helping helping young people, um, and so I I uh, saw a job description in the in the St. Louis Post Dispatch in the nineties uh, for. Um, Uh, And it was when the internet was brand new. If Mm -hmm. you guys remember AOL, you remember that tone. Oh, yeah. You know, everybody has that tone. Yeah, (laughs) Everybody has that tone in the back of your mind, as as I'm telling this. But uh, that dial-up tone that AOL had. So the internet was brand new. I started working at TWA. And um, they hired me on and said, um, we want to be the first airline to sell tickets through our website. Mm -hmm. And I kind of lied my way through the interview. And I, I said, yeah, I've got experience. I had airline experience because I did. just worked yeah. for Southwest. Right. Little did they know I was loading luggage. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> was it a technology job? No, not at all. In fact, uh, no, very low tech. So they stuck me in a closet and, and gave me a little bit of a budget. I was able to hire a, a team. And to this day, I still remember every member of that team. And... Um, so we were there for, for four years, the last four years of TWA, mm-hmm. Trans World Airlines. Well, as people uh, might wise. or might not
0: know, TWA, it was one of the hubs. And, you know, there's a lot of people that came to St. Louis that were from all over the place that
1: that's exactly here right. and lived here. Yeah. Yeah. Here in St. Louis, that's yeah. right. They, and so I worked at their headquarters in downtown St. Louis yeah. at one city center. And uh, that's when those were the days when St. Louis was thriving. Yeah and um and so we built a team and we did we did amazing things we were the first airline to to be able to accomplish that and um then the executive team came to us and said we love what you're doing but we want you to double the revenue we mm. want you to come up with something different and so we sat down and uh took a weekend you know getaway and said how are we going to do this we're we're 22 23 year old kids we Three hundred million dollars. We'd never even mm-hmm. thought we'd even entertain that, right? Um, so, so how do you make three hundred million dollars as a twenty-something-year-old kid? and You've never done it. So we thought, um, let's 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 partner with some of the top hotel chains. Let's partner with some of the the top rental car companies. Mm. Let's partner with some of the top travel-related yeah, companies. Smart. And so we created these travel packages. And some will remember that are that are listening to this, some will remember it was called dot com deals. Uh, kind of cheesy nowadays, back in and you know, now here we are in 2022, going into 2023. Uh, but th- that's what we called it was dot-com deals. So every week we would put out new dot com deals where you could fly, for example, from St. Louis to Los Angeles. And uh, once you arrive, your, your rental car is ready, mm-hmm. your hotel is, is in your yeah. name, everything's taken care of. It's all, it's all part of the package deal. Yeah. And so we nailed it. Uh, for four years, we, we hit our goal, we crushed it, and there's a uh, business gentleman out there that, that some – uh, listening to this podcast. We'll, we'll know who it is, but his name's Carl Icahn. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he took over TWA and let's just say uh, I was not a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, our entire team was let go. And we were told that uh, he was bankrupting TWA and that American airlines would soon be taken over. And so um, well, as some
0: of those people who, if they read through Carl Icahn, he was famous for buying something and, and taking it apart and selling it pieces. Kind of, you know, kind of the Gordon Gecko days of Wall <laughs> the Street. Gordon you know? Gecko yeah. of
1: Wall Street. That's exactly yeah. right. He was a uh, uh, very much hated individual, and uh, he didn't care. And if there's anything that I I could say that I like about Carl Icahn. It is the I don't care component because mm-hmm. now I'm to the point in my life where I, I, I do care what people think of me. Yeah, but I don't care about what the the negative, right? Uh, the people that have something negative to say. So, mm-hmm. um, I learned some lessons, uh, or a lesson from Carl Icahn, but um, he let our entire team go, no severance package. I go home, tell my my wife, uh, and we had a two month old baby daughter at oh, home. Gosh. I uh, hate to tell you this, but we have no health insurance. We have no income. Uh, that last check that we got two weeks ago, that was it. I'm not getting one today or tomorrow. That was it. And so it, it was, you know, we were a young married couple. We had bought our first house at 21, uh, 22 years old. And so uh, we didn't have much of a nest egg. And so uh, I went for a drive that day and, and, um, uh, I came back a couple hours later and told her I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. She's like, what the hell is an entrepreneur? And back in the 90s, nobody, you know, there wasn't a name that you just tossed around right. all the time. Uh, it's obviously become a lot more popular, but I said, I'm going to be a business owner. I'm going to start my own marketing agency. And she said, well, what do you know about marketing? And so she didn't know about the things that I had, Right. You know, All the different things you've been working on TWA. Right. And so, um, I thought, well, I'll reach out to those, those hotel chains and those rental car companies. And, uh, because I was able to get them contracts with TWA, maybe they can. Mm-hmm. And, and All right. It's good to training. A favor. Field, yeah, right. absolutely. And so some of them did, um, some of them became my clients early on. Uh, but you know, to be honest, it was, uh, it was a struggle. Mm-hmm. We struggled, uh, meaning me, my wife and my, my, uh, newborn daughter, uh, we struggled for, for three or four years and I wanted something better for my family. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I had, uh, long story short, I had invested a little bit of money in, in some of my team members that worked at TWA during that time, um, I had invested a little bit of money in some some no name companies, and um, back in in early two thousands, I got a phone call from one of them that said, "Hey, I just took our company public, and um, you know, you guys could do the research or whatever." But uh, Travelocity, Expedia. Mm-hmm. And those companies that uh, now do the same thing that we did at TWA, exactly. yeah, uh, those companies are thriving and doing very well today. And 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 now there's new ones popping up all over the place. So I got a little bit of, of seed money mm-hmm. from from those investments and put it into my marketing company. And and just a few years later, I sold it. And um and then 2008 came. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I partnered with a childhood friend of mine. He was a real estate guru. I was a marketing guy. Right. It's a good so, combination. Yeah. So we thought we would uh, create a parent company. He would handle the real estate. I would handle the marketing. Mm-hmm. And um, over time, I found out that there was some embezzling going on. And I found out that he was the one embezzling money. And so, um,
0: how'd you find that out? Like what, what'd you run? Did you just run across something? And it was like, Oh
1: yeah. In fact, uh, one of the red flags was, um, he wanted to move, uh, a female from where he had just come from, which was, uh, and I'll say this and people will know who it is, but I still won't mention his name, but, um, he had come from Columbus, Ohio and, um, he hired, uh, a female and, and he was married and had, uh, two, I think maybe three daughters at the time. Um, and it was just a red flag to me because I hadn't approved that yet. Mm-hmm. And I, to be honest with you, didn't really like her. She, mm-hmm. she was all about him and not, a uh, a, 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 um,
0: didn't add a lot to the, the equation. Not at all.
1: Right. Not at all. And so that was a red flag. And so I started asking for financial statements up until this point, I don't think I had even ever read a financial statement. Yeah. Didn't even know. My Marketing people it. don't like financial statements. No, not at all. Not at all. We try to, let avoid me those create at all this. Cost. You add it up. <laughs> That's right. We try to avoid those at all costs. Mm-hmm. So reading the financial statement, um, I, I took it to my accountant at the time and, and I said, uh, can you, can you explain this in, in English and, uh, interpret it for me and, so he said, uh, "You're missing some money," and so he said, "You need to figure out where." And so, uh, just through a couple of months of research, uh, and with his help, we we found we found out. Um, and so, what I decided to do was instead of prosecute my childhood friend, yeah, um, who was already going through some marital issues. Um, and instead of, 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 suing him or, or any of that, I just thought I would take my company back mm-hmm. and, and, and just focus on what I knew best. Right. And so we did that. It was, it was difficult. Uh, there was, uh, for about three months, uh, surprised there weren't fists thrown back and forth, but it was, it was, it was tough because you've got two childhood friends who, uh, you, the last person you think would would take money from you as a childhood Mm -hmm. friend so um like when
0: you went to him did you say hey I know that there's something going on here I mean did did you have that face to face like I did I
1: did in fact uh when I went there I was so angry I was not gonna knock on any door that was closed this particular day I wish I had knocked on the door that was closed because when I opened it, uh, it was him and his secretary.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And so, um, that answered that question. Right. And so, um, after that was excused, uh, we sat down and, and I asked him some tough questions and, um, we, we both had some things that we had to figure out, but I wasn't going to let any more time go by mm-hmm. and let my company suffer and, and, uh, pad his pocket, mm-hmm. if you will. And so, uh, we completely separated that day and, uh, it wasn't the last that we had heard from each other, but we had separated. And so I focused hundred percent on my marketing company. And um, developed a team. Uh, again, me loving to, you know, I love to help people. I had uh, an internship program where I had uh, a team from Bangkok, Thailand, that was finishing their degrees at uh, Washington University. Cool. And uh, they did some internships. Uh, we were able to patent and trademark some things that that they, they came up with. And so in return, I invested in one of their, uh restaurant ventures which if you guys are ever in university city if you like sushi stop by blue ocean sushi oh yeah Um, yeah. this is you know he's had that that he's in bangkok uh thailand now that's where he lives full time but that was the location that he he had started and he just needed a chance he Mm -hmm. needed someone to believe in yeah give him an opportunity and um, that's what he started so um 2008 um, it was the year that, uh, I went through a divorce and, um, I, I sold, I sold my marketing company. How many kids you have at that time? Uh, two, two, uh, had two at the time and, and have two now. Okay. Um, now my, my oldest daughter is 24 and my youngest is 19. Okay. And so, um, that was tough. Um, yeah, yeah that was tough. Going through a divorce was extremely tough. Um, I found out that my national sales director at the time, um, who also was a friend of mine, uh, was also embezzling money from my marketing company.
0: Wow, you got hit twice. And,
1: yeah, I got hit twice and within just less than a, a year of, of each other. Mm. And so here I am, money being taken from me, and the feeling uh, that that felt was yeah. just... The, the, the feeling of betrayal. Well, yeah, you
0: get trust and everything else oh, is rolled into it's, that.
1: It's terrible. And so, um, again, without prosecuting, without, um, you know, bashing his name or any of that, because uh, there were uh, some family ties there. His family was associated with my, my then wife's family, and so I didn't want there to be, uh, you know, uh, anything there. I just wanted him to be able to tell the story. And then I found out that, that I was the bad guy later on. Um, so, M- Missouri's a 50 50 state. Um, I was able to retain half of my net worth. Mm-hmm. And then my ex wife got the rest. She got the house, the cars. And then the state of Missouri, um, you know, they hit you over the head with child support. Um, I was paying a lot at that time and so I remembered my very first friend who who embezzled from me I remember the real estate strategy that he Mm -hmm. he had developed and I liked it so much I adopted it and so I started my own real estate company and I called it I named it after myself Mm -hmm. the Duncan Group and so uh, that's important to know, and I'll I'll tell you here in a few minutes why that's important. So I, I obviously wanted my family to feel, um, you know, uh, feel good about about that, and uh, I just knew that we were going to be successful. I just had that feeling. Uh, real estate at the time, and from two thousand and five, two thousand and six, and seven was 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 doing really well, mm-hmm. and so I had. Uh, taken, I would say probably ninety eight percent of my money I had left and put it put in it in real that state. company. Yeah, and I hired uh, an assistant. I hired an executive team. I I built the company up, and we had two law firms that we were we were outsourcing a lot of legal work to, and I saw how much we were spending on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, law fees are not oh, cheap. Yeah. Uh, especially when you have uh, two different firms that you're dealing with, so um, I thought, you know, there's there's a friend of mine that uh, that I'm partying with on the weekend. We're going to to clubs here in St. Louis, mm-hmm. and we're partying together. And he's a licensed attorney, um, worked for a buddy of yours that that you know well, mm-hmm. and so uh, I talked him into coming on board. And being my in-house counsel, and so he did, and so we did not have, uh, you know, like Bernie Madoff, where you have uh, this huge-looking company and you only have three people, right? Right, working it. Uh, that that wasn't us at all. We had we had built uh, a very large company, and so we had subdivisions. We had. I was not a real estate broker. But what we were doing is we were flipping properties, mm-hmm. buying properties for cheap, putting yep. some money in them, selling and them. then selling them. Yep. It made sense. We were doing that all day long. St. Louis, Dallas, Phoenix, um, all over. Mm-hmm. We had partnered with some, some other companies that had foreclosures. They needed to dump those. Um, and, and so we wrote up contracts where we could take those properties, rehab them, sell them, and then they would get a piece of it. And the model just made sense. It just it was working out perfect, and so sounds like
0: it grew pretty quickly.
1: It did. It yeah. it, it grew very quickly, and so um, some somebody came to me and said, "Why don't, you know, you love helping people, Aaron? Why don't you, um, why don't you bring in some outside investors? Mm-hmm. And because we're making, you know, you're making so much money. Let's let's help some other people." Mm-hmm. I thought it was a great idea, so I did. And so, um, working with our outside legal counsel. Well, I mean, I mean
0: I'm thinking while you're talking. You, at that time, you had a track record. You know, you're yeah. you're at the point where you've you've grown. You have a track record. It wouldn't be that difficult for somebody. You don't have to twist their arm too bad. Not at all. To to bring in an investor and say, I'll do that.
1: Not at all. In fact, the the my mentality was. Um, so that everybody gets a piece of it. If you bring an investor to us, we'll give you a commission.
0: Mm -hmm. Sure.
1: Is what it is. So our outside law firms, we told them we were hiring an inside counsel. Mm -hmm. And so, um, they, they taught me that the difference between an accredited investor versus a non-accredited. And they told us make sure that you know the difference. Make sure that whoever you bring on board is an accredited investor, not a non-accredited. Mm-hmm. And here's how you vet them, and here's how you go through that. And so uh, there was a lot to learn. I mm-hmm. was a marketing guy, but here I am learning real estate. Mm-hmm. And so my my in-house counsel said he he picked up on it. He knew he knew about it so much so that his his mom invested. In in our company. And um, the deal was when you invest with the Duncan Group, your name gets tied to the deed of those properties.
0: All right. It's kind of collateralizing their investment.
1: Correct. There was some sloppy paperwork that Mm -hmm. happened, and some investors did not have that collateral. Yeah. Uh, They just had money invested in the company. Mm -hmm. And so, so our in-house uh, attorney um got got paid a commission to bring his mom um on board and so um 2008 happened, and the market i mean overnight just crashed. Mm-hmm. I literally say overnight because it it's looking back at it it seemed like a nightmare yeah you know, one day well, it was well, a nightmare and and the next day I wake up and it's I go into work and everybody's like, "What do we do?" mm-hmm the, the, the properties that we had bought, let's, for an example, easy number sake, we, we bought for a hundred grand, um, are now worth 50.
0: Right. Overnight.
1: Overnight. And we had promised those investors, you're going to, you're going to make something Mm -hmm. off of your investment. And so we had promissory notes. And so the, the thing that I knew best to do was to be honest Mm -hmm. and to, to tell these investors that, um, we're going to be going through some hard times. Mm -hmm. And so we had, uh, I believe at the time, if I can remember correctly, it was weekly conference calls Mm -hmm. where every investor, and I believe there was a total of 70 plus investors from all over the country who could call in and listen to us and and even, I believe, answer questions at that time. And so there were um, what we called short-term investors long-term investors. Long-term investors were 10, 20, 30 years. They wanted to see the company Mm -hmm. successful. The short-term investors were like our attorney's mom, Mm -hmm. who had a promissory note that in 120 days, those properties would be fixed up, flipped, and she would get her money back. Yeah.
0: Profit, whatever.
1: Wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, And so as we're communicating this to, uh, these investors, um, the, you know, we, we had a, a brokerage division. Uh, I was not a real estate broker, but we were spending so much money in selling these properties by paying that 7% Mm -hmm. uh, commission to realtors. We, we brought that in house and we, we had our own team. Mm -hmm. And so I had a broker that, that ran that team. And so um, uh, most everybody at the table, our executives, our employees, some of their family, mm-hmm. my parents, my brother, my grandparents, all invested yeah, they're in. in the company. Yeah, And so uh, we didn't know what to do. I just thought that we could crawl out of the hole eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bubble. It burst. Mm-hmm. Um, some people saw it coming. Some didn't. Uh, I was surprised by it that quickly. And so what I wanted to do, you know, bankruptcy was was brought up and, mm-hmm. and I really didn't want to file bankruptcy. But as soon as bankruptcy was brought up, uh, some red flags started mm-hmm. coming up. And so my, my goal was to ask the long-term investors, can we use your capital to pay some of these short-term investors off to, to fend off any lawsuits that mm-hmm. could be coming? And then we restructure the company mm-hmm. and and get back into this. That was the the entire yeah. goal. Sounds simple. Mm-hmm. Until... Get, get the people
0: that are short term out.
1: Correct. You're long
0: term. We're going to restructure. We're going to weather the storm. Get yes, the sir. sales right. Go. Yes, sir. Okay.
1: Correct. That was the that was the strategy. Bankruptcy was not even a part of my equation. Mm-hmm. I, I I didn't uh, did not want that for the Duncan Group. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, my in-house attorney, uh, went to the feds and said, we have a Ponzi scheme. We have a guy who is taking long-term investors money and paying short-term investors and paying them off. Um, and he started this company as, as such. And those were his words. Mm. And so, um, I came back from a trip. My secretary told me that he was in your office. He was copying every document he could copy. And then when I looked at his, his mom uh, and and I'll be glad when they hear this podcast, but when his, when his mom, when I looked at his mom's folder, the original documents were not there. Mm. And so, um, so 2008, I was indicted by the federal government.
0: Well, tell me a little bit about that because I mean that's
1: that nightmare as that happens.
0: I mean, you got a little bit of a foreshadowing because I think one of the things that's interesting about hearing a white collar story is is that when you're an entrepreneur and you're a business owner, the thing that you said that, that you know it, it caught my attention because. A business owner, if you're creating a company and and you become part of that company, bankruptcy feels funny. Like that's, that's like you giving up, you're quitting. So I understand that. And the other thing is, is that I think that uh, when you're running a company, you think you can fix it. Right. Okay. What do we need to do? What's okay. What's the problem? Then what's our solution? Then how do we implement that? So I think for a lot of people listening, you think, okay, how do you keep the company alive? Right and you you because i mean at that time i mean everybody probably uh, at a certain age remembers their the Lehman brothers when uh, everybody was going under i mean the whole world was going under right. you know so it wasn't it wasn't just a small there, there was a gigantic billion dollar companies that overnight evaporated and you know a lot of people look back on that and it it was a time when everything flipped and it, you people had to figure out how to survive. Right. What, what do you do next?
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, wow. that's just you brought back some memories when you talked about uh, Lehman Brothers, and uh, this was right around the time that that Bernie Madoff mm-hmm. had. Uh, that's when Ponzi scheme the the term Ponzi scheme was really big. Right. And um, you know to to be able to say that uh, I created a Ponzi scheme when I named the company after my own last name yeah, and we had several divisions. I had family working for me. Mm-hmm. I had an in-house counsel uh, to say that that was a Ponzi scheme is, is, is so wrong in every way. Um, well, there's, I think there's
0: the Ponzi scheme thing. It gets spread out and defined so many ways that people can justify it. Like I, you know, one Ponzi scheme that's very well known is the social security system. Very Newton, much so. You know, new money goes in to pay for old, and this system's not sustainable by itself without the new money coming in Correct. to pay for the So, it's o- right. <laughs> you know, it's okay for the federal, the federal government, government to run, to run that government. Ponzi scheme because they're saying, well, this is a social security system. We that's have to true. do it that way. Right. But, you know, that's the interesting thing about that particular, you know, and I think that it's named after a person, isn't it? Some, it somebody is. in the 30s or something? something Ponzi. Ponzi, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a strange name. Yeah, yeah, right.
1: Yeah. Who, uh, be bad to be branded
0: with that name.
1: <laughs> no oh, you're
0: Ponzi. Okay. <laughs> oh, you're the
1: one. Thousands of people have gone to prison. Oh the, man. So,
0: so Aaron, you um, was this a like from the time period that your attorney starts copying stuff and you know that this is bad? How how much time is between that and you being indicted?
1: So I first received documentations from the state of Missouri. Okay. And the very first document they sent me was a cease and desist. Okay. Which meant You're I done. could not do nothing.
0: Right. There's Shut not down. a
1: property out there I could sell Yeah. Uh, to keep paying payroll. Yeah. There was nothing I could do. Mm-hmm. And so um, I I was, my hand's, you know, I hate what was to say going. This, through, what was, was going
0: through your mind? I mean, when you get that cease and desist, you know that that, that is that's a death knell.
1: Oh yeah, when when I got that, I thought, well, maybe this will just be temporary. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll I'll talk to some attorneys and and we'll we'll figure out how to get get around this. Let them know that we've got some properties that are out there mm-hmm. on the market. Um, at least let us get through this and and pay down some of this and, and figure some things out. Um, the state of Missouri would not have it. They were, they were, um, you know, they were done. And, and the SEC, uh, once I heard the securities exchange commission, uh, brought up, I was like, uh, mm-hmm. um, and then I received a uh, notice, um, with the seal of the federal government, uh, on it. Mm-hmm. And it, um, it said, uh, we need these amount of documents. We need this, this, and this, uh, copied and also burned to a disc. And we needed it. We need it by, I mean, it was like three or four days mm-hmm. and there's no way
0: mm-hmm. you don't have any people did. working for you. Anymore. Nobody. I was right. by myself.
1: Right. Yeah. Nobody was going to donate time. Mm-hmm. They, they were out there looking for jobs. And so, um, like you said earlier, I was in the fight of my life mm-hmm. and, um, so it was tough I was I was thinking about man how did this happen and Mm -hmm. uh, is there a way to fix it and and so I stopped thinking about how to fix it and how do I (laughs) start defending myself Mm -hmm. because I knew that this is where it's going and so um I reached out to several friends of mine who and you, were, I'm
0: thinking right now that you're, you at that time, you didn't have a wife that you were talking to cause you were not, that's correct. You were divorced, it's which divorced yeah that
1: would be tougher. Also. It was, it was, I, I had, um, I had fallen into a, a dark depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and like so many do when they're in this, this yeah. situation. And, um, it, it was tough. Uh, a lot of
0: people describe that as I heard somebody describe the other day that I was talking to, and they said, when you get into the, one of these things, it's like you're getting into uh, a dark hole. That At first, you feel like you can grab the sides. And each time you grab that so you grab the sides, it gets wider. Ooh, and then you, you try to I stretch like further, and you still, and then you realize that you're, there's no grabbing the sides anymore. You're just in a spin, and it's dark. I love
1: that <laughs> analogy. <I'm laughs> because you don't have any – each time you're losing more and more felt. control. Sure, yeah. that's how it felt. Yeah. So you're at the bottom. You're at the bottom of the, the very bottom. Yeah, and that's how I felt. Um, everyone, once they see that you're indicted by the federal government, mm-hmm. um, uh, they turn your, their back on. Yeah, you. and uh, <laughs>
0: it's like the only you're like the only person that has COVID, and you're going to give it to everybody. That's right, exactly <laughs> right.
1: That's an analogy we can now <laughs> use. That's correct. So. Um, I was dating a girl at the time and her, her parents had also invested into our company. And so um, I was, I was basically interviewing attorneys cause I, I wanted to find the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realized that, you know, when you're in this situation, they're not cheap, Mm-mm. they're not cheap. And if you don't have the capital or the, the, the means of which to, to hire the best of the best, yeah, you're gonna have to find someone in your range. Mm-hmm. And so um, I reach out to to several friends. They were willing to cut me a deal, but then they found out there was a conflict of interest reached out to which um,
0: happens a lot, by the way, that conflict of interest can get in the way of a oh lot man. of good situations that you think this will work. And then it comes back around. I can't
1: do that. It does. And, and I really firmly believe that if one of these attorneys, the one that I'm thinking of would have taken on the case, there would not have been that conflict mm-hmm. of interest. Uh, I probably would not be sitting here today mm-hmm. telling you this story. Yeah. Um, but it did not And so, um, They started reaching out to other friends, and then their friends started reaching out to other friends who are all lawyers. And then I get a phone call one day from a lawyer in St. Louis um, who, by trade, uh, was a forensic accountant. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, perfect. Yeah. Um, Because I need somebody like that. can peel all the numbers back. Absolutely. And so uh, he was a criminal defense attorney, forensic accountant. Perfect. Um, so I go meet with him and, um, he, he tells me that he can represent me. Um, and then he found out who, again, this is after I had been indicted. Uh, there were, I think 17 counts, Mm uh, against me, wire fraud, mail fraud, you know, they, they just stack them up. Well, that's, that's
0: one thing I, you know, we talk about this from time to time. You, when you get one charge, that, that means that they can stack those charges. So if you if you get charged with mail fraud, you get charged with mail fraud, and then they can just assume how many times you'd put that in the mail. <laughs> and right. each one of those carry 10 to 20 years. Yes, so th- there's a stacking and an uh, intimidation factor to, Very oh, I just right. got mail fraud. Oh, no, that's like 600
1: years. Exactly. Yeah, yeah when you, when you add it up with that calculator, you're exactly right. Yeah. There was thousand plus years, mm. uh, when you really look, you know, look mm-hmm. at it and thank God for the sentencing guidelines and, um, you know, uh, good and bad in, in certain yeah. ways, I guess it depends on who you are, but, um, and I can get into that here in just a second. But, um, so, so I, I found my attorney and we had agreed, we knew that the, the, the the process is, you know, once you're indicted, and you know you have to go before a judge. You're going to have to plead guilty or not guilty. Um, we had agreed that um, I could turn myself in, mm-hmm. um, and that Which was is
0: much better than them breaking down your door and huge, getting, huge, you know, huge. surrounded by a SWAT team and all huge. those things. Yeah.
1: And so, because I had lost everything. I was the only one working on this with no income. I moved in with my parents mm-hmm. and uh, there was a knock on the door one day and it was super early one morning. I think it was a Thursday or a Friday morning uh, about six thirty in the morning. My dad answers the door and uh, my mom comes downstairs and she said, Aaron, there's somebody here to see you. So I come upstairs and my dad has this, White, I mean, as white as this table, white Mm. uh, look on his face like, oh, my God. And so I see on the front porch that there's a female FBI agent, Mm -hmm. um, bulletproof vest, weapons drawn. And I go to the door. She said, are you Aaron Duncan? I said, yes, I am. She said, can you step outside? Do you know why we're here? And I said, no, I don't know why you're here. Um, and she said, well, we're taking you in. And that was a shock because Mm. I thought we were supposed to. You thought you were doing the other thing, right? right. And so I step outside, they had surrounded my, my parents' home. Um, I, I, I think there were, I've got it written down, but I think there were nine, 10 or 11 FBI agents. Uh, I mean, fully decked out and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, weapons drawn because I guess, you know, they, they don't know what they're going to. Walk right. into, so I understand that, but it is very intimidating. Oh my gosh, yeah. to see that. And and so, uh, for my parents to see that, it just devastated, sure. Me. And so, they handcuffed me, put me in the back of a car, take me down to the federal, uh, the federal building, uh, get put into a holding cell for three hours, and then uh, they call me upstairs. I go before a magistrate judge, mm-hmm. and um. He asked if if I have representation. I said yes, I do, Your Honor. And um, he said, Well, I don't have that on my record. Who is it? And um, or, or is he here? And I pointed at him and I said, Yeah, that's that's him. And so the the judge asked him. He said, Well, uh, is are you his attorney? And he said, Well, uh, he hasn't fully paid his retainer yet. Oh man. And I was just stunned i've got leg shackles arm shackles um you know kind of in the in the chain gang because they right. bring you up like six or seven at a time mm-hmm. and so the judge basically uh, called me a liar he said you just told me you had an attorney and you don't have an attorney and it shows that you've defrauded 70 something people out of millions of dollars he said do you understand how serious that is I said, yes, Your Honor. He said, and he asked another question, and, and I felt like he was asking about me stealing it. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, I, I didn't steal it. He didn't like my answer. So he said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to gonna put you in county jail um, wow. with no bond, and you're going to sit there until I get back from vacation. And every day that I'm on vacation and you're in county jail, I want you to think about how you answer my questions. And so, um, they sent me off to County jail. Wow. And, um, I was in Ralla. There's no, no, no place close to St. Louis. Uh, those who know it's about an hour, hour and a hour, half hour, hour and a half drive. So even for my attorney to come see me, uh, it was an hour, it was a three hour round trip. Mm-hmm. So he did not make it easy on me at all.
0: Well, and uh, <clears throat> for those who have never been to jail, um, jail is worse than prison. <laughs>
1: Very much so. Yeah. In this case, it was. I learned some valuable lessons while I was at And in, in fact, I was there for uh, five or six weeks. What's your thoughts being in that
0: county jail? Because, I mean, that's a, that's uh, anything can happen.
1: Um, I saw a lot of things happen. Mm-hmm. A lot of fights took yeah. place. Um, guards that really, um, you know, they're – you know, obviously, county jails set up much different than prison, and I just uh, you you see this mirrored wall, mm-hmm. and then your your cells are are facing the mirrored wall, and and on the other side of that mirrored wall, the the C O S the correction officers can see everything. Yeah, they're watching everything. Doing. Right, but you can't see them. All uh-huh. you can see is yourself. Right, and so I'm looking in the mirror, and I I you know, see different cell, cell doors get, as we call popped, mm-hmm. right? Which means a corrections officer had to have clicked a button in order for that door to get unlocked. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that door popped, two or three guys would go in there, have their way with whatever mm-hmm. beef they had with that inmate, and, and step out. Mm-hmm. And so uh, then they would close the door behind them. Nobody would know about it. Um and so I saw a lot of that in county jail. Mm-hmm. And out in Rolla, um, it's a lot different than Saint Louis. Um St. Louis uh, and I've got friends that live out in Rolla, so I can't really say what I want to think, but <laughs> uh is not like St. Louis. Um I I, I have done uh, some time in, in St. Louis County jail mm-hmm. and I and I will say it's a lot rougher in St. Louis County than it is out in Rolla. But county jail to me is county jail. Mm -hmm. And you see a lot of shenanigans you don't see uh, in federal prison. Mm -mm. So um, I was finally able to get a hold of my attorney while I was in county jail. And my parents were able to uh, make sure that the check that he had cleared, Mm -hmm. uh, which I thought that 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 would take care of it. And uh, apparently it didn't. So, um, so now, now I'm being represented, and um, I make a phone call from county jail to my girlfriend. Not even thinking that her parents were investors in my company. Mm-hmm. They are what the what the federal government calls victims. Mm-hmm. And so, when the judge gets back from out of town, he calls me back. So, hour and a half uncomfortable ride back Mm -hmm. to St. Louis. Uh, my parents are there. Uh, uh, my attorney's there and I'm ready to post bond. Mm -hmm. And so he calls me up and the prosecuting attorney says, your honor, um, I don't think he should post bond. And the attorney or the, the judge said, why is that? He said, well, he made a phone call to this phone number and this phone number is registered to Mr. and Mrs. Mm-hmm. Victim. And he said, Mr. Duncan, did you not learn your lesson over the last five or six weeks? Mm-hmm. And so I said, Your Honor, if I can just explain to you, please. Um, and I explained that. Mm-hmm. And nobody knew it until I explained it. Right. Thank goodness he allowed me just the that, the that 30 moment. seconds to yeah. explain it. Otherwise, he would have sent me back, revoked any bond that I would have had, and I would have stayed in there for Mm -hmm. the three years that Mm -hmm. I fought the case. So uh, that allowed me to – my parents posted bond for me, uh, got me out. I was on house arrest, and I was on house arrest for 18 months while I fought the case with my attorney. Mm. And um, during this 18 months, my attorney spent more time politicking – for a position in the city of St. Louis than he did spending uh, working my case. Mm -hmm. And uh, in doing so, it taught me that um, not every attorney is like this individual, of course, but it taught me that I also have to do some work. Yeah. Right. Right. Because nobody's going to understand or represent you like you. Exactly. Nobody's going to. And so, I would, I would write notes and I would write pages and pages of notes. And then I would meet with my attorney and and he would just say, okay, okay, just leave it on the corner. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember one instance, we, uh, we had set up a, t- a meeting with the postal inspector and the lead FBI agent to go down to the federal building. Uh, him, my, my attorney and myself went down there and, we were going to go through all of the bankers boxes of documents that we had supplied them because we were looking for some key documents. Mm-hmm. We get down there. I'm the only one looking in the boxes. He's back there politicking with the postal inspector, mm-hmm. the FBI agent and anybody else who's in the room. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I couldn't find what I was looking for. And at that time I realized I may be in a lot of trouble mm-hmm. because I'm not being represented properly.
0: Right. This could turn out really bad. Correct. And it's not been good to this point.
1: Not good at right. all. And so <laughs> uh, we we go through the various stages of, of you know, um, and I'm sure you've talked about those on your podcast, but we go through the various stages of what happens uh, when you're waiting for either trial or a plea deal. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my first plea deal was, uh, I think, 10 to 12 years, and um, I, have, I had two little girls, mm-hmm. and I, I just couldn't see myself doing yeah. an entire decade, yeah, a decade in a federal prison um, and watching them grow up from a distance uh, through photographs and letters. Yeah, it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to take in. And my attorney thought it was a good one. Uh, and I told him, I'm taking this to trial. Mm-hmm. He goes. What are you stupid? If if they get you on one, just mm-hmm. one, you're going to get 30 years. Mm-hmm. And so we found out who who the the trial judge was going to be, and um, she was appointed by George W. Bush. Um, and my attorney was extremely intimidated by her. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget that. He said, "This is not good. Mm-hmm. She doesn't like white collar." Guys, she's not going to like you. She's not going to like your story. Mm-hmm. In fact, she doesn't even like me, he says. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, perfect. You know, I can deal with the others, but the not yeah. like well, you part. Checked I, off all the boxes here. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, um we 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 get down to a plea deal of 63 months. And about the, half of what you it's were It's about telling, half. Yeah. And so I think it through, I think it through. I talk to my family and Um, that could have been the last plea deal or plea offer that they had given me before trial. Mm -hmm. So I took a gamble and I, I went with it. Mm -hmm. And so mind you, I'm on house arrest with an ankle monitor. I can only go to church and work, Mm -hmm. uh, for 18 months. And that in itself was difficult. I tried to get that, um, as time served. And of course they won't do that. So, um, you know, I, uh, I agree to the the sixty three months, and so we we go before the judge, and the, it's completely up to the judge whether they can go above the guidelines or below the guidelines. and And have you talked about the sentencing guidelines on no? Any but
0: it, it's it's interesting because, and the other thing I think is interesting is is that people who've been on here before is that they. So six, they, everything's in months. And so like, I remember, um, one of the guys talking on here that was, uh, I think it was like, what was it? 300 and some odd months. And I thought, well, that doesn't sound that bad. Well, then you think, okay, 120 months is 10, 10 years. years, 60 months is five years. That's exactly right. You start thinking, well, I don't even know how to add that up in months. (laughs) You know, like you learn to, yeah, figure it out real fast when you're talking about how many times, how many years you're going to be in prison.
1: That's right. That's right. I can't remember what year they, uh, the federal government adopted the federal sentencing guidelines, but basically what it it did was it allowed judges to not give extreme sentences to people. Maybe necessarily didn't deserve it, right? So while they're going through your pre-trial, they're looking at your your history. Mm-hmm. What type of history are you? A well, you
0: actually have a pre-sentencing report. You have a pre-sentencing. So report. you they actually interview you uh, with someone who's for the in the right. government, and you they there's a long report that's made of your life, and that serves as what what do we think of him?
1: That's right, yeah. And that and that follows you. Mm-hmm. That follows you uh, even through the federal prison. System. Oh yeah,
0: no, it, it, it lands right on the uh, the case manager's desk. Yes, sir, it in, does. in prison, it does. And they make a decision how they feel about you. That's right. Yeah.
1: So every every stop is is a new judge. Mm-hmm. Someone you know who may not be an actual judge, but they're judging you based upon. Yeah, uh, that pre-sentence report, mm-hmm. and so uh, they go by points. You know, if you're if you're the the head of the enterprise, it's so many points. Uh, and I don't have one in front of me, but um, uh, you know, encourage people to look it up. If you're going through something like this, if you're going through a, a federal indictment, look at the pre-sentencing guidelines. Mm-hmm. And, uh, look at that point system because it'll, it'll show you kind of the range of how many months. Yeah. Cause they'll, they, they'll they can decide
0: your culpability within the group of people, you That's know, correct. you know, that, that he's the most culpable, but he's the least culpable. So that also was points. Yeah. That's right. Yeah.
1: That's right. So, uh, day of reckoning day, day of, uh, sentencing, um, my attorney, uh, I'll never forget this We're we're getting ready to go upstairs. Um, to hear my fate, mm-hmm. even though we 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 knew it was sixty three months with three years probation, uh, which is pretty typical in the federal system. And um, so my parents, uh, I, you know, asked if I was ready. And of course, my attorney made a snark comment. Uh, I hope you guys haven't drank the Kool Aid too, um, which basically meant I hope you haven't believed his story throughout this whole process. Your attorney says this? Oh, yeah. Wow. I'll never forget that. And so he told me exactly what to say um, when when I stood before the judge Mm -hmm. to apologize. Mm -hmm. And that's what you want to do. You want to apologize. Listen, I'm sorry this happened. Right. Um, Didn't want
0: anybody to see that they were hurt. No. Take
1: responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so um, I put it in my own words. Mm -hmm. And my attorney did not like it. And so when I put it in my own words, the, I'll never forget the, the, the judge, the federal judge poured some water to take a drink and she started coughing. She started like it went down the wrong pipe Mm -hmm. and she said, excuse me, I I've got to go back to my chamber. She just couldn't stop talking. And I'm almost finished with my, with (coughs) my speech, you know? And so she goes in the back and, my attorney slams his fist on the table and he's like, what are you doing? You're supposed to tell them you did this on purpose. You're supposed to tell them that you did this knowing that people would lose. No, that's not what happened. Right. It's not what happened. So she comes out, uh, I don't know, five, 10, it seemed like an eternity. Uh, your honor comes back out all rise. So we rise and she sits down and, She said, Mr. Duncan, I apologize to you. That has never happened in all the years I've been a federal judge. I apologize. She said, but while I was in my chambers, um, I saw two stacks of paper on my desk. Mm -hmm. She said, I I quickly glanced at them. One of them is a stack like this. Mm -hmm. And and I'm I'm showing Brent, and it's probably about four inches thick. Mm -hmm. And she says, in this hand, I've got letters uh, from people pouring in from all over the country saying that you're a man of character. You've Mm -hmm. helped them. You've helped their kids. You've helped their families. Mm -hmm. She said in this hand, I I just have a few letters from people that that don't like you. Mm -hmm. She said, based upon the fact that she said, I, I, I hate the fact that you you accepted the plea deal, but you had to do what you had to do. Mm -hmm. I don't believe you did this on purpose. She said, "But what I'm gonna do is because you 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 did a, a 63 month plea deal. I'm not gonna go above it. Not gonna go below it. I'm good, just gonna give you 63 months." She said, "But this stack of of letters that I have, and I still have those today mm-hmm. because they give you these and and, and the bad ones. And mm-hmm. so I know the people that yeah. talked bad about me. But the 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 letter with the the are the stack of letters." She said, these people will talk highly about you Mm -hmm. and they know you better than I do. And so with that being said, 63 months, gavel on the table, my attorney walks out Mm -hmm. and he was mad. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't know what kind of an agreement uh, he had with the prosecutor, uh, the prosecution or or why I was supposed to say what I was supposed to say, but I didn't say it. Right. And so um, they let you go home. If you're you're on bond and they have your passport and you're not a flight risk, they let you go home with family. Mm -hmm. And it takes about 30 days. You get a letter in the mail.
0: Which is weird.
1: Which is weird. Mm -hmm. And it says, Mr. Duncan, such and such, this is the Bureau of Prisons, you have been appointed to, and where I was appointed to was Springfield. Springfield, Missouri, Springfield, Missouri,
0: which is really weird because I used to ride my bike because uh, I grew up in Springfield, moved to uh, St. Louis when I was 14. So we would ride across town because I lived on the east side and we would we would ride our bikes. And that was kind of like the scary place. <laughs> you know, will you I dare you to dr- ride your bike up to that front door? But it is kind of a scary place because it's it's, a a hospital. It's a medium security, I believe. Is that correct? And and it's got a camp.
1: Yeah, so they they call it administrative. So they have adjacent to the main facility is is a camp. Mm -hmm. And then inside the main facility is what the Bureau of Prisons calls administrative, which is a combination of low, medium, And high. Okay. So it's all. So you've got, you've got guys in there that are in there for life. Yeah. For whatever reason Mm -hmm. you've got, you've got, um, you know, there are people in there from Honduras who were drug smugglers. Mm -hmm. Uh, you, you meet all kinds of characters in federal prison. And so, um, I'll never forget, uh, my day of self surrendering, Mm -hmm. my wife and, and a female friend of mine drive me to Springfield, Missouri. And, uh, I'm ready. I'm going to do 63 months in a camp. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I'm, I'm being possibly given an opportunity to participate in a program called RDAP. RDAP, yeah. You know all about RDAP. Yeah. Um, and when you do good there, then that could possibly take a year, year off, off of your sentence. Yeah. So in the federal system, you serve 85% of your time as long as you don't lose your good time. Right. And where I was at was not easy to keep good time. Mm-hmm. Um, not because I'm a bad person, but because there are people always trying. Sure, you got to be trying, on guard. Yeah.
0: Did you think you were going to the camp? Because I, I because I, did. I remember <laughs> that, that there was kind of legend in the federal system the Springfield camp because what what legend was at Leavenworth was is that you only there was only like. 25 people there and you had it was like in a smaller like house and and it was totally different than like where i was living you know we had a fence and barbed wire and the whole thing and it was real prison but um then when the guys would come from there, and they said, "Well, it's not." But you thought you were going there. I did to that. Yes,
1: yes. In R- fact, which I, you should
0: have been, by the way.
1: Yeah, which I mean, based upon those <laughs> yes. federal sentencing guidelines, Where, exa- you right? You fit I, right into I, well, yeah, that. Yeah. I, was, yeah. I was camp eligible, yeah. and and so I get there, and and they're you know guards, um, and it's in the main facility, not yeah. at the camp. It's right, the main facility. And I tell them, "Hey, I'm Aaron Duncan. I'm here uh, for the camp." Yeah. And I had called a couple of weeks before to see what I could bring with me. And they mm-hmm. said, oh, where are you going? I said, well, spring, the, the camp at Springfield. And they're like, okay, you can wear a brand-new pair of white tennis shoes as long as they're all white and you can carry in your Bible. I said, mm-hmm. okay, perfect. So I get there, and I tell them, okay, I'm going to the camp. And they're looking at their, um, you know, their roster, and they're like, what's your name again? How do you spell it? One person checks it. They look in the computer system. Mr. Duncan, we're sorry, but you are not on the list to go to the camp.
0: That's a hot sweat right there. I That is that is not good.
1: <laughs> I didn't I didn't know what it meant. Mm-hmm. I'm so, I'm like, well if I Well I not- tell you why
0: that's so weird. When when you I voluntarily surrendered to Leavenworth, they process everybody in the big ugly building that looks like Shawshank, and that's for a lot of right. different reasons. They prisonize you but also scare the crap out of you that and your first thought is when they put you in that cell for a while. Hours click by is huh. I wonder if they know that I'm not the one that's supposed to be in this prison. And you, you know, then you think, well, who would I tell? Like, who would I talk to? What 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 rights do I have? I'm a I'm just surrendered myself into this building. So you actually had that happen though. Exactly. I mean, my nightmare became your real nightmare.
1: (laughs) It happened. It happened. In fact, they they dress you out, yeah, as you know. They prisonize you, and they they tell my mom and, and my friend, wait, because we're going to bring his clothes out, mm-hmm. so you can take those with you. He's right. not going to need those for the next. No, he won't. Months, he won't be right? needing those in here. <laughs> so they 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 strip me out. Um, they put me in an orange jumpsuit, and they said, "Well, you're going. You're not going to need this Bible. You can't take it in anyway," uh, because I later found out you can carve. You yeah, know, um, it's what they do in the movies. Yeah, it's exactly what they do. And so, uh, they took my Bible, my my jeans, everything out, except for my white pair of tennis shoes. Okay. And so, they they took me up through this uh, uh, this various uh, hallways, and by this time I have no idea where I'm at, and just within a blink of an eye. I am at the front door or gate if you will of one of the loudest 18 man cells I've ever heard and I did time in county sure. I you know I mean yeah. these guys are it's a jungle and so they open the door I'm in a white jumpsuit with some fresh white sneakers on I've got my bed roll and mm-hmm. all that stuff and they say okay uh, bed bed 18 and uh Bet eighteen was a top bunk.
0: Yeah, no new guys getting the bottom
1: bunk. <laughs> no new guy. Yeah, you know all about that. No, you're not getting the bottom bunk no. for a long while. And so federal federal prison is very, very segregated. Right. Um, you know, I I didn't know that. Uh, there was nobody that I really talked to going in because I thought I was going to a camp mm-hmm. where everybody is 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 friends. Mm-hmm. You guys all work together. Mm-hmm. But where I was at blacks on one side whites on the other Mexicans mm-hmm. very primitive of, yeah very much so and so uh, I walked in and I had I had seen people that uh, could be on movies um, and I'm sure their stories could be on movies mm-hmm. scary place mm-hmm. and um,
0: you're in a medium prison right
1: yeah at, th- at this point uh, where they released me to I was in I was in the uh, Low, medium, and max. Yeah. So, so the max. There were there were several maximum security people in there that were lifers for various murders or yeah. or you know what yeah. have you. And so um, I don't know who's who. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's no name tag. Everything's a number. Mm-hmm. All I knew is I remembered my my federal number, and that's that's what you're called by. Mm-hmm. And and out of respect, the COs will eventually call you by your last name. Mm-hmm. Uh, never your first, but by your last right, name. Right. And so I ha- I had a nickname. My nickname was, was my last name, Shortened, which is Dunk. Mm-hmm. So um, Dunk was my last name uh, or was my nickname. And so I go in and I have – I'm afraid to walk around at each bonk because everybody's staring me down. Mm-hmm. When you're in an orange jumpsuit and everybody else is in gray sweats and – and, and khakis and everything yeah. else, they different. know you're the, the new guy. Yeah. And, um, and they're checking you out. They're checking me out. Now
0: that is one thing that's very, very right on point to movies is they, all those guys really, do, new guy does get checked out. Cause they're coming in, you're coming into their world to live with them.
1: That's right. So you're, yeah, that's right. And I did not know it at the time, but part of my bed roll inside there was of course my bedding, and my pillow and there was a folder okay did not know yet what that folder was for until but first i had to meet the very first person that i had even spoken words to in in a federal prison and it was the biggest black guy i'd ever seen in my life and he came up to me and he wanted my he wanted my tennis shoes mm-hmm. he said those are mine take them off in front of everybody. Mm -hmm. And mind you, everybody's grabbing a seat. Uh, if there was popcorn machine, they would have grabbed to watch this. Yeah. Yeah. So he said, I, I, I'm not going away. Those are my shoes. Either give them to me or I'm taking them off. So again, this is, this is a test, Mm -hmm. you know, to see how you react, uh, how you react, because all I know is I'm going to be here 63 months and I'm not going to be that, that guy, that guy. Mm -hmm. So, Growing up in Ferguson, growing up with brothers, growing up in an environment where sometimes I had to fight my way out of, mm-hmm. of situations, um, I didn't want to do that. Right. So I thought I could use my words. Yeah. Um, the older I've, I've gotten mm-hmm. in life, I realize words can sometimes uh, de-escalate yeah. things a lot quicker. Yeah. Not in the federal prison system. And so uh, I took my left shoe off, um, right-handed right footed. Um, I I wasn't a kicker uh, in football and I wasn't very good at soccer, but um, I took my left shoe off and I threw it down in his direction. And as soon as he bent down to pick up that left shoe as hard as I could, I kicked him with my right shoe Mm -hmm. and I knocked him backwards, split his head open. His forehead was bleeding everywhere. And, everybody's eyes were wide open, their jaws were hitting the ground. Like, Oh my God, mm-hmm. this little white guy just did that. Yeah. And I didn't knock him out. I should have finished it off if I could have, mm-hmm. but I thought maybe he'll just leave me alone because I just kicked him mm-hmm. as hard as I could. Um, if I was two years into my sentence, I would have known better. Mm-hmm. I didn't know better. He got up, and it was the worst butt-kicking, mm-hmm. if I'm allowed to say that on your podcast. You can say whatever you want on here. What's it was <laughs> we're, the we're worst. We're licensed under explicit,
0: so you can say whatever you want. ass-kicking yeah.
1: I had ever received in my life. And there were no guards. Uh, it was, uh, like I said, I th- I believe around 18 people, 16. Yeah. Him, 17. Myself, 18. So we were the only ones that seen it. Yeah. And uh, crazy thing
0: about that is, is prison. There really aren't a lot of, they call them COs, but there's not a lot of guards. No, Um, you know, they come around to do the count, (laughs) but as far
1: as once an hour, yeah, as (laughs) far as
0: you see them, I mean, (laughs) not really,
1: No, no, not at all. They came around, did the count and that's when they realized, uh, the new guys in, he might need some stitches. Mm-hmm. Uh, my eyes were nearly swollen shut. I couldn't hardly see through them. What an entrance. Uh, he had a, a, a gash in his forehead um, and there was blood all over the place, but they didn't see it happen. Right. So there were no cameras. Nobody saw anything. So they took him to the hole and they took me to the hole, mm-hmm. also called the shoe, mm-hmm. which is SHU. Special, special, special housing unit. Yeah. That's right. And so, I'm stealing um, the water yeah, no, that I please. gave you. I, I won't say this <laughs> I gave, brand. I but gave I'm, Aaron <laughs> a, a bottle of water and now I'm going to drink his water. By all means, <laughs> go ahead. Um, so, they, they take us to the shoe, to the hole, and there are no clocks. Uh, the windows are so tiny. You can't tell if it's dark or, or daytime. You, you just, it's, it's a mental. I think the incredible thing. thing about this story is this is your first Uh, My first, yeah. First encounter. First, first day, first first few hours. And it was all because of some tennis shoes. Right. And so I, uh, about three or four days later, a nurse comes by and she checks and she's like, you doing okay. I said, yes, ma'am, I'm, I'm fine. And she, you know, uh, I had to get three or four stitches in, in my left eye and a couple stitches in one of my cheeks. And, Um, The swelling started to go down over time. And uh, all I could do was just sit there and think. I didn't have a writing utensil. They wouldn't give me paper. And every day they they wheeled past or at least to my door. Mm -hmm. And the the corrections officer said, listen, if you tell us that all he had to do or all he did was try to steal your shoes, Mm -hmm. we'll let you out of here. Or at least give you a book to read, a writing utensil, and something to write on. Mm-hmm. I said, nope. Now I, fu- now, I didn't know how long I was in there until afterwards. Mm-hmm. 90 days, I'm going to tell you, wow. seems like <clears throat> an eternity. Wow.
0: That is a long it time. It is a long normal. time. Yeah. People come out looking different after 90 days. Oh, yeah.
1: I, I was i was skin and bones. Yeah. I, I was not the same person. And uh, they let you, you know, in there 23 and a half, 23 hours. And, and you're let out for rec time and or shower time, which and 45 minutes to an hour depends on what kind of mood they're in. You get to pick or choose. And there were days I, I would much rather go outside and get some fresh air than take a shower. Sure. And then other days I'd rather take a shower than, than go outside. Mm-hmm. So had to pick and choose. And so I didn't know anything about the other guy didn't know him didn't know his name uh didn't even know if he was still in the hole Mm -hmm. i find out later 90 days let's fast forward 90 days three months three months they let us out and they put us both back into the same cell 18 people there's some fresh faces in there yeah there's some new guys Mm -hmm. but there's some other guys that said hey man come here I've got some shoes for you. I've mm-hmm. got some. I've got some commissary, yeah. some yeah. soup, some different things to give you. I earned some respect. Mm-hmm. And although he and I eyed each other mm-hmm. over the next three years, uh, I saw him out in the yard many times mm-hmm. in the chow hall. One side is whites; mm-hmm. all whites sit on one side, all blacks on the other. That's just how the federal system is. Mm-hmm. And there were many, many times we would just look at each other. And I didn't know it until later, but he had also uh, served 90 days in the hole. And they were doing the same thing to him they were doing to me. Mm-hmm. All you have to do, will let you out, is say that he kicked you in the forehead and we'll let you out. Mm-hmm. So the reason why 90 days is because that's the maximum amount of time, that that you can stay in the hole. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I mean, I, I'm telling you, you start seeing things. Sure. <laughs> after around the yeah. the thirtieth day, mm-hmm. um, so it was a nightmare. That is a nightmare. It was a nightmare, and that is that was your entry
0: into prison, which is uh, unbelievable. That was my entry,
1: yeah. and mind you, I am all I can think about is that phone call to home. Yeah, my parents. Do tell they even me, know? No. They're, they're like, as soon as you get in and get settled, give us a give call. Give us a call, right. They're thinking a couple days. Mm-hmm. It wasn't 90 days. And I'm I'm sitting there worried about them. What do they think? Sure. They they think I'm in a camp. They don't even know. <laughs> they don't even know that you're in the big house. <laughs> that I had just got out of uh, the shoe after spending 90 days. So, so, when
0: you, so when you got past all that, how did you handle your
1: time? So I, I worked out a lot. Yeah. I worked out a lot. I surrounded myself with, you know, in in federal prison, if you're not affiliated with a gang, uh, you you become affiliated or you surround yourself with what's called a car. Car, right? Right. And so I it's found three or four people you hang out yeah, with. That's yeah, that's right. And so I found I found my car, mm-hmm. and thankfully, um, being in Springfield, Missouri, there were probably about twenty of us mm-hmm. in one car. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is pretty unusual because, like you said, most cars are pretty There's like small, three or four people. But um, w- there were a lot of us. And so uh, we worked out together. We, we played sports together. Mm-hmm. And on our compound, there were aluminum bats, mm-hmm. uh, wood bats. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played flag football. Yeah. Um, we played just about every spot. A lot of handball, of course. Handball is a I prison mean, handball sport. Handball is a prison sport. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, that's one sport. If you don't know how to play, you have to learn how to play yeah. handball yeah. Uh, because they'll size you up by your handball game. Um, so I, I played a lot of sports. I worked out, and my when you get to you federal prison, prison yeah. So when you get to federal prison, you get a job, yeah. and uh, my after I got out of the hole after that whole f- incident, uh, I cleaned toilets for oh. for, <sighs> for for I think uh, thirty days. Wow. And I'm like, I've had enough of this. Yeah. So I went down to my, um, uh, the, the lady who handles all your paperwork. Yeah. You're the case manager. The, yeah. Thank you. The yeah. case manager. She hated me. Mm-hmm. She said, uh, you're going to be cleaning toilets for the next 63 months if it's up to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, she said, I've read your entire case. I know why you're in here. You get into a fight your first day. Um, yeah. And, you know, she said, but there was nothing they could do because there was no evidence. Nobody told. Right. And so um, here we are 15 years later. I can tell this story, and not worry about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, attacking on charges or whatever. But um, so uh, I went to another case manager and and it was, it was a, a, a gentleman who really liked me and he said, you know what? We have a law library clerk mm-hmm. position open. Mm-hmm. You typically have to be here 20 years to get that job. He said, but I'm going to give it to you. So he gave it to me. Wow. And so I worked in the law library. I helped a lot of people with their cases. And I think that's what really drew me to what, what I'm you're doing, doing now. now is that that
0: is so cool though. Um, uh, so you started helping guys because you started reading and knowing and, and getting really probably more familiar with with what was going on than the attorneys that put you there. That's correct. So, and, the, you know, the other thing that's interesting about that, uh, prison's a, an, an odd place, but you gain respect in different ways. You do. And by you being that guy, you created your own avenue of your own respect, which in prison – Kind of that's the fuel that everything runs on. It is. You know, if
1: you don't have respect in prison, you have a hard, hard road to hoe. I can't even imagine. And I've I've seen those guys. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Yeah. And, and they've done 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Hard years. I can't imagine. Yeah. So, well, so
0: you, and I want to go back to, so when you were finally able to get a hold of your parents after three months, I mean, they had to have been, I, I don't even know. I mean... You finally were able to make a phone call. Yeah. You know, I can't even imagine what they would have been thinking on the other than the line. They dropped you off, thought you were <laughs> at the camp. You're in gladiator school, and and you're making a phone call
1: 90 days later. Right. 90 days later. I'm very That's careful crazy. about what I tell them. Yeah, because everything's right? recorded. Everything's recorded. Yeah. And so I just basically told them the phone systems have been down um, a, and, and some other uh bs stuff that you know just so they wouldn't they wouldn't be too afraid so th- not um, not
0: to have them worry more than what what you would have normally exactly yeah. right so aaron tell me this so you i know things kind of get strange once you get in for a while did you do the rdap program i did do the RDAP okay program. so yeah so that that's that's a whole society to itself it in is. prison which is it is um but it does give you a year off, and that's one of the only programs in the whole federal system that'll actually give you a time off like that. Absolutely. And I, you know, and I think there's some good things to it. I think it depends on who runs it, yeah, you know, and who Agreed. the people are that are doing it. But Agreed. I think the the intent is to try to reduce recidivism and and do rational thinking and all those things, which is probably a good thing Correct. if it's done and implemented right.
1: Right. Yeah. 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 I, I, I did it. It's a, it's a nine month program and um, it's intense. It is intense. Um, you live there. Uh, you, you, you know, you pretty much are are in that environment for nine years, but it's worth the year off. Um, I, I was able to build an an amazing relationship with the RDAP. I call them Mm CEOs, but to me, they weren't CEOs. They were they were they were people mm-hmm. right on the streets, right? Like they were right. like you and I. They were they were genuine people who cared. Yeah. And and they showed that. Mm-hmm. And so um uh you know if if I could, you know, with their permission, I wish I could could say their names, but they to this very day um are amazing. I would love to go back to Springfield and, and talk to an RDAP mm-hmm. uh, you should group. I I would love to. Yeah. Um, well, I was going to ask you, like, when you started,
0: because you had kind of established yourself into that library, uh, when you started getting five, six months to the door, knowing that you're going to get out, um, I know a lot of things go through your mind. You know, like, what am I going to do? How am I going to live as an ex-convict? You know, what, what, you know, how will I, <laughs> who's going to hire me? What am I going to How do I get back into society and still make a difference? What, What's going through your mind?
1: First thing that was going through my mind is, uh, you know, how do you overcome the fact that people are just going to judge you? Mm-hmm. And even walking through the grocery store, you feel like uh, people you don't even know are just looking at you. Yeah. Like you've got it written on your forehead. Yeah, it's tattooed on a, your I'm forehead. A, I'm a, I'm a you know, yeah. convicted felon, mm-hmm. uh, which is not the case. And so um, I quickly overcame that. the institution I came from, because of the, the type of security levels that were there, I would find myself sitting with my door or with my back to the wall and not the door mm-hmm. and, and certain things and certain things. But um, so I developed a it's a it's a four phase uh, process, basically. OK. For anybody that's going through what we've mm-hmm. we've been through and it's called the road to redemption. OK. And number one is publicly acknowledge your wrongdoing. OK. Which is typically what you do when you sit down with your family, uh, you you give your speech to the judge, mm-hmm. so the whole court can hear you. Right. So you're 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 not saying, uh, I mean, if you really did something wrong, yeah. be honest, right. Tell them, hey, I, I apologize, I'm sorry. So public publicly acknowledge your wrongdoing. Number two, pay the price. Yeah. Uh, restitution yeah. is a price. Yeah. Uh, federal time. Is, is a, a price. price, yeah. Uh, there are many prices that go along with that. And number three is vanish. And for me, vanishing was sixty-three months mm. away, which yeah. gave people time to forget about who I was, mm-hmm. which was good. Mm-hmm. And so the fourth and final one, which is is one of the most important ones, is come back with a new focus. Love it. So instead Love of Aaron, that, Aaron Duncan coming back and selling real estate and getting back into the market to prove myself, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's come back with a new focus mm. and that's what I think you've done as well. And well, I, I think, I think what it does
0: too is you, when you find that new focus, it gives you a new passion to burn from. And, uh, you know, and reading your backstory, Aaron, you, you're helping so many people and whatever that is, Uh, It's kind of one of those intangible things, but knowing that you're helping those people, that gives you fuel to move forward using your experience. I mean, you have a unique experience to share. Sure. And you have knowledge that you wouldn't have had. That's correct. Except for the fact that you went That's into this correct. whole thing. So that you sit down and you talk to somebody who's scared to death either either their company's folding or they're indicted and they are they're convicted and they know they're going to prison. you can help that through so many different layers to talk somebody off the ledge.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. And 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 I do that on a regular basis mm-hmm. and I it's it's my passion. Yeah. it's what I enjoy doing. Um, I think it's I'm, very cool. I appreciate that. I, I really do. It's, um, in, in fact, a lot of those people, I would love to just send your way. And, and so your listeners can hear their stories. Yeah. Uh, but just talk about incredible stories. Um, uh, but you know, I love helping people. Yeah. And, well, in, in your story, is
0: that all the way through? So yeah. you, you have, you have repositioned yourself now with all those things that you stepped through which I can't imagine. I mean, the fact that you actually went to somewhere that you – to a uh, medium, maximum, low place when you thought you were going to camp, that that whole readjustment and realignment was – I mean, how you got through that is just fascinating because that's every guy's –
1: nightmare if they're thinking they're going somewhere else (laughs) definitely yeah definitely yeah i've i've got to say this um when i when i got out uh you know obviously you go to a um a a federal uh uh, halfway Halfway house house, yeah and in st louis it's not in the best part of town no
0: it's in the place where everybody shoots each other and there's prostitutes and there's drugs and it's all happening right outside the door
1: it is in yeah yeah, it's it's in a tough part of st louis and so Uh, I remember one day I was waiting on the bus at the bus stop. I was wearing a suit because I was uh, a bus boy at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. You know, the halfway house gets you ready to get back into society. So I'm wearing a suit. I'm waiting for the bus so I can take the bus to my job, which is at a restaurant, Mm -hmm. uh, as a bus boy. And um, and so this one particular time, uh, I'll never forget. uh, There's about six or seven guys come up to me and they say, that tie you're wearing, it doesn't belong in this neighborhood. Take it off. Mm-hmm. I said, no, you don't understand. Uh, I, I need this because I'm going to work. I've got to have this tie on. You mm-hmm. don't understand. And um, I didn't know what was going to happen. These guys, I, I, kn- I know they had they had pieces on them. Mm-hmm. I Two of them lifted up their shirts. Mm-hmm. I, I seen them. Uh, I thought, should I take the tie off? Should I not? And then, literally seconds later, I hear this thunderous voice from behind me say, "Leave him alone. If you ever mess with this guy again, you're going to deal with me." Who was that? And they scattered. And I turned around, and it was the guy who asked me for my shoes. Wow! The <laughs> oh, first day in prison. Oh, that's. He's that. from St. Louis. His name is Mo. Uh, it's not his real name. It's his yeah. street name. Is Mo. And then as he pulled off.
0: That kind of brought uh, chills on my skin, that whole story right there. It's crazy. That it's crazy, crazy how
1: things happen. And, and uh, as he pulled off, he, he looked down at my brand-new dress shoes and kind of gave me a nod and said, nice shoes. Wow. And took off. That is and such so a cool story. I, I
0: want to ask you something. Because just saying that you're going to start something, it's not that easy. What was, because it's a very humbling experience. Like you said, you're going, doing the busboy deal and, and you do get extremely humbled when you go to the prison <laughs> and when you come out, how did you start taking your steps to get and rebuild and, and get
1: to those people to help? That's a good question. Uh, through, through connections, mm-hmm. just through people that, you know, a, a lot of family mm-hmm. really helped me. That's fantastic. um, I, you know, I've got a great uh, core group of family, um, which is an interesting thing. And I'll go back. I won't bore you too much with this, but this was interesting. While I was going through my investigation, the feds interviewed my grandparents, Mm -hmm. my aunts, uncles, cousins, people that had some sort of a, a part in this connection. And I didn't know it, but I couldn't even talk to Grandma and Grandpa. Yeah, I couldn't talk to my cousins because they were potential witnesses yeah. against me, and so that was hard. But throughout that entire ordeal, our entire family stayed strong. Yeah, um, and 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 to this day, my family knows the truth. Yeah, they they know uh, what happened. And um so through and the family you know the,
0: the thing about that is too is that when you know when when a person goes to prison, the family goes to prison because they have to figure out how to deal with it. They do. The fact that your family stayed together and you're still that core unit says a lot about all of you and how you survived. Because Definitely. there's a difference. You know, you survived that. They survived that and it makes you
1: stronger. It does. It does. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> That's what <right>? they say.
0: <laughs> well I let me ask you this, Eric, because I always ask everybody this: Is it going through everything you've gone through? Because you've gone through a hell of a lot. What What do you think is your biggest takeaway after walking through all this mess and now being in a position to be doing what you're doing?
1: You know, I um, when I earlier on when I said I started out as a as a youth minister because yeah. I loved helping young people. I didn't have the experiences Mm -hmm. I didn't have the lessons I didn't have the stories of what's really happened to Aaron Duncan I could only tell other people's stories right now I have a catalog of my own stories get your own foundation of stories yeah and and I'm able to share that to again to the people that I'm I'm able to help and getting ready to launch a brand new brand called built for battle um, it's, it's, tell me about a, that. Yeah. So the, the slogan is I was built for this. And, um, the cool thing about it is, um, so we're, we're putting together some merch and when you see somebody in the grocery store or wherever, and they're wearing a hoodie and it says, I was built for this on the front of it, it makes you stop and wonder what, what does is that, that mean? And yeah. so, um, we did it as a test, uh, about a year ago. And it was a young lady who uh, was battling cancer Mm -hmm. and the doctors had given her less than six months to live. And so, um, long story short, she beat it. Mm. The doctors still to this day, cannot figure out how she beat it. Um, 99.999, whatever that percentage is. And I could be off, but there's a high percentage of people that do not, um, survive that type of cancer. And so... Wearing that hoodie, I was built for this. She was stopped in the grocery store by two people. And one of the, the people stopped and asked, can I ask, what is what is, is, what is the, I was built for this mean? And she told them the story. Well, just two years ago, I was diagnosed with an incurable cancer. Yeah. And the doctors had only given me six months to live. And she said, um, I'm here talking to you today, two years later she said, I was built for this. Mm. And so that person said, can I use that slogan to, to be able to tell my testimony to Mm. other people? And so the goal is to get that out there so that we can all tell our stories about the battles we've gone through battles of depression, Mm -hmm. addiction, prison, whatever it may be. We've all gone through battles, but there's lessons to be learned from those always. Yeah. And so that's, in a nutshell, what built for battle? man. I
0: love that. That's a good way to end that. I mean, Aaron, that is good stuff. I'm built for this. I love that.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Good stuff. And you're doing good stuff, man. Just keep doing it. Um, for those out there, um, we talked about the book. Um, I wrote a book, nightmare success, loyalty, betrayal, life behind bars, adapting, finally breaking free, a memoir. Um, Definitely do the reviews. I'm loving these reviews on Apple. Uh, for those you're using your phone, it's just the little three dots. It drops down. Follow the show, too. It gives you that option to follow the show. Follow the show. Share it. Uh, you want to leave me a message uh, on brentcasty.com. Love that. Uh, I just want to share with you the guys that are um, starting next week, the guys behind the uh, the walls that we're talking about. I just got in uh uh, he ed- do. Ed- oh gosh. Uh, I'm not saying it right. Uh, it's, it's the company that ha- we're in 200 prisons, jails across the country, uh, to listen for you guys that are behind the walls. It's the discovery section type in nightmare success in and out. And, uh, you'll start seeing the episodes. I'm really excited about that. There's some good stuff in here and I'm, I'm going to be uh, excited to hear the feedback. Um, for everybody, when I used to be on my uh, my uh, computer typing emails back and forth, as I would say, "Stay strong," and I'll do the same. Aaron Duncan, thank you for today. I thank appreciate you, it.
1: I appreciate it, and I'm glad to be able to call you a friend. It's nice to finally right back uh, at you, Aaron. Yeah, you're doing know, great things, man. Not only in the same city, but uh, I, I appreciate you. You've you've reached a lot of lives, and you've touched a lot of lives. So I
0: appreciate you that. It. You're doing the same. Thank you. Nightmare success in and out. See you guys.